Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Renee and uh, D-Days are going to ruminate on the Great and Salacious Beehive. This is July 23rd, 2023. Renee Steelman is going to co-host. Sister Patricia Holland has died at the age of 81. We'll cover that for you. LDS Church has filed a lawsuit over the Cody, Wyoming Temple. And the Utah area presidency has made a bizarre endorsement. You're not going to want to miss that. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is on the way to becoming a billion, excuse me, a trillion dollar church. You heard that right. Trillion with a T. We're going to give you all the details. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at www.mormonnewsroundup.org. Or you can come on over and send me an email to collab at mormonnewsroundup.org. We'd be delighted to hear from you. And we'd like to invite onto the program uh, Renee Steelman. Renee, how's it going? Very good. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk with you today. I love your podcast. Oh, you're, you're too. You're far, far too kind. Oh now, no, I, it is so informative, and it and it has just a, a little bit of comedy tucked in, which makes some of that news a little bit easier to swallow. So I love it. Well, I I am delighted to hear from that, and I'm a big fan of your podcast too. You know, you run a channel that's called uh, "She Became Visible." Uh, when right. did you When did you start that, and what's that all about? Well, actually, I've been doing this podcast for. Gosh, two or three years, maybe even four, but it's kind of taken on different personas. I started out, I was working with a company that was um, set up to help people if they wanted to transition to veganism, if they wanted to become a vegan. It was a company that had recipes and encouragement and weekly meetings and all of that. And it was called Get Wasted, which I thought was a really cute name. And (laughs) so I did a podcast every week uh, called Get Wasted. And it was really fun. In fact, one of the funnest people I found was a guy who was traveling all through all the countries in Europe, in uh, Africa. He was a hiker. And um, we had a fat, and I don't even remember how we met, but that was fun. And then um, that company went out of business. And I started doing um, Go Gray Dame was the name of my podcast. And I was, I was interviewing women who had decided to let their hair go gray. And you would think that would be no big deal, but it's actually a big deal. It's really traumatizing for a lot of women, and it's interesting to hear their story. So that was the beginning of Go Gray Dame. And then I had my awakening, and I became obsessed with LDS history and started doing a lot of research. And one of the things that I recognized was that patriarchy was the number one uh, kind of modality for the LDS church. And it really put a put women in a place of lower status. It was it's very very misogynistic in my opinion. And so I started doing She Became Visible about two years ago, and it's a completely women. I only interviewed women, and but I interview women with a, di- a diverse story of how they felt like it was time for them to stand up and say, I'm here. I have a purpose, and I'm not just a support system. I'm an individual. And this is how I did that and became visible. So that's the complete focus of my podcast now. She became visible. And you can find it under the Mormon Discussions umbrella. Uh, Bill Reel was uh, really great about um, introducing women into his um, corporation. He wanted more women voices. And so I've interviewed women who have been primary caregivers to their disabled children. I've interviewed women who have um, 
divorced their family and remarried uh, as a LBGTQ woman. And I've, you know, interviewed women who have uh, just done something, you know, that's no more rare than let their hair go gray. So it's, it's interesting. And I think it's really great to highlight women. But there is a major LDS uh, tone going through all of my She Became Visible podcasts today. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, uh, you know, your, your TikTok channel, Go Gray Dame, it says uh, living the third act, a model, author, podcaster, married 47 years and the best Nana ever. That sounds yes. fantastic. <laughs> Nana to 14 fabulous grandchildren, seven girls and seven boys. Now, could that be more perfect? I have one son that um, he and his wife chose not to have any children. And then our youngest son uh, was severely disabled, and uh, we were his primary caregivers until he passed away in December. And obviously, he didn't marry and have any children. So the other uh, four are the ones that have given me 14 grandchildren. And they're the best, and they're the smartest, and they're the prettiest in all the world. So that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds fantastic. Now, uh, Renee, I helped you um, edit some shorts. I helped you with your channel a little bit and do some of the other behind-the-scenes work on your channel. What has been the results of, the, of, the, of, of our work together? It has been outstanding. I, I, think, I cannot stress enough to people that they need to understand that it takes a team effort to be successful in any kind of business. And I was trying to do this completely on my own. I'm finding my own guests. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how StreamYard works. I'm trying to figure out how on earth would you edit a podcast. I don't, it, and it's just so time consuming. And the new thing that came about in the last year or two were, were shorts. And it was just absolutely necessary that you have shorts on your channel if you wanted to proceed and become visible. And so um, I couldn't do it. And so I just, I, I called D-Base and I said, I can't do this. You've got to help me do this. And it has like, it's been night and day as far as my YouTube channel goes. Working on your channel, uh, Renee, it really uh, forced me um, in, in a good way to consume a great deal of your content. In fact, every episode, I think you've had uh, 45 episodes or so. And during that process, I messaged to you, I, I worked on it constantly, that I have never wished to swap out my y, y chromosome more in my entire life. <laughs> because all of your shows, they're, they're, just, they're so heartfelt, they're emotional, they're raw, they're powerful. And, and in contrast, um, I, I realized that I kind of run a rather analytical and sometimes cold-hearted podcast. And, uh, you know, I think I need to repent. Oh, I don't think so, because I, I but I, I do think that there is a place for all of us. And I think that the channels that are like yours, I mean, I listen to a lot of analytical and historical podcasts myself. And that's just because that's my genre. Even when I read books, I primarily read historical truths or biographies. Um, maybe I'll do a, a fiction based on history, but I don't have the time, I feel, to do a lot of fiction reading. So when, I, when I'm reading or if I'm ingesting a podcast or anything like that, I want to be learning. But I do feel as though there is a place, especially for women in my demographic, where we, as we age, it's harder to hang on to friends. You kind of lose your community. And there needs to be a platform for women in my demographic that can tell their story and, and share, share what they're going through and kind of help uplift other women. So there's somebody out there where they can say, Oh my gosh, I thought I was alone, but I'm not. And yeah. so that's so mine is definitely more emotionally based. I don't have a lot of, you know, historical knowledge. It's really just tell your story and then hopefully we can commiserate and join one another. 
Yeah, here's those here's those shorts that I helped you uh, uh, put together here for your channel. And they've really gone um, in a short amount of time. They've really gone global here. They've got a lot of views. A lot of people are very interested. And I think it's um, really helped your channel out a great deal. Oh, and I, I have to tell you that it has been uh, very in, it's been very satisfying to me to help you and the women of your channel become literally become more visible. And I was um, I, I just have to say that I'm proud uh, that I was able to elevate their voices even in a very small way. Absolutely. In fact, one of the ones that you started out with when you were showing the shorts was a young woman that I had heard her story. Uh, she was a guest on Mormon Stories, and she was telling her story of having a son that was born with a diaphragmatic hernia. And that's the only person I've ever run into that my son was born with a diaphragmatic hernia. It's not that common. Um, it's about as common as spina bifida. Um, so, so it's not, you know, um, completely rare. But just to have her on as a guest, and she's only in her 20s. So she's still a young mom with three children, and it was so fun interviewing her, and, have, and you know, we commiserated on how it was to spend so much time in the hospital and working with doctors and nurses and, and the medical community, and we just had a lot of things in common, even though I'm way old enough to be her mother, so it was great, and that's what I love about my channel. I interview 25-year-olds, and I interview 80-year-olds, uh, but we all have something in common, which is at some point, we stood up and said, hey... I think I have a purpose here, and my purpose is not to be your shadow. Yeah. Now, is there anything else, Renee, about your personal life or religious beliefs that you want to share before we kick things off? Um, I don't know if it's important for the audience to know, but it might just from where I'm coming from. Um, my family joined the church when I was 12 years old, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormon, uh, when I was 12. And I was just a 12-year-old girl going along with whatever my mom and dad were doing. And the missionaries were really cute. And the, one of the sons of the bishopric, uh, the bishop that just, you know, my family was one of those golden families where you had a mom and a dad and three children. And they, we were all joining the church. So the bishop really sucked us in and took us on as a project. And he had a really handsome son. So I was like, whatever, I, this sounds great to me. And uh, so I joined the church, went along with the whole program. Had, I really had a great experience. I didn't have anything really negative. Um, anytime I did have anything negative, I could really easily chalk it up to a person and a personality and not the gospel. And I am a big truth person. So my awakening for the history of the church and me deciding to res uh, resign my membership from the church was based on lies and deceit. And that just doesn't fly with me. I'm not a very forgiving person. I can't look the other way. Um, and so I, like I said, I spent the last two, two and a half years uh, doing a lot of research and learning and that, and two years ago I resigned my membership. And uh, my husband is still a member, very staunch member. He's, He's been in the bishopric, he's been in the state presidency, he's been on the high council. Um, he's a temple attending member, and it sometimes causes friction in our family because I have a hard time shutting up. And because I do ingest so much, I just want to share all this information, and sometimes he's really getting tired of it. But um, So that's where I stand right now. I'm not a member of the church, and I'm still really interested in things that are going on with the church because I do think that um, it's not so much about leaving the church, it's about the continual lies and deceits that are being spread. So I feel like that's true in any system in the world, that it's important to find out the truth. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And before we hop into this week's news, though, I understand that you have our Mormon News Roundup joke of the week. I do. I do. I thought this one was pretty funny. So are you ready? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so right. A guy goes to the doctor for a checkup and gets bad news. 
you've got a rare disease and you've only got six months to live, the doctor tells him. The patient is incredulous and tells the doctor he's going to get a second opinion. He finds another doctor for a few days later, and after a battery of tests, this doctor gives him the same bad news. The patient is in shock and asks if there's anything he should do. The doctor pauses a moment and says, can I give you some non-medical advice? Sure, anything, doc. I'm desperate. Are you religious, the doctor asks. Not at all, says the patient. Well, says the doctor, I encourage you to join the Mormon church. Go to every service, get involved with every group and small organization you can, and completely immerse yourself into that religion. I mean every aspect if you can. Wow. The patient perks up and is feeling hopeful. Will that extend my life? No, says the doctor, but it'll be the longest six months you've ever had. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, if, if it's the last couple of days, too, you should put back in general conference. If you've only got two days to live, because that yeah. that's that would extend things a, a little bit. Exactly. That 10 hours would feel like a lifetime. For yeah, sure. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, that does bring us to our first news article of the week. And this is a follow up from last week, Renee, is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there was a great deal of controversy that was brought forward by the Sydney Morning Herald based on the reporting that they did last year of the church's, shall we say, very irregular tax dealings in Australia. And the church issued a statement on the reports about the LDS Charities Australia organization, which is a shell company for the church, which has been in a great deal of hot water uh, in Australia, the subject of a massive tort, uh, which is uh, their version of a class action lawsuit. It has apparently been um, possibly uh, being investigated by the Australian tax organization, which is the Australian equivalent of the IRS. We covered this a great deal last week. And the church issued a statement on this, and they only released it through their Pacific uh, branch. So it's on, it's on, not on the church's main page here, but it's on news-pacific.churchofjesuschrist.org. And so I just wanted to read this to you, and I find this to be very remarkable and get your take on, what, on this uh, particular statement. And it says, since the 1840s, the church has had members and congregations in Australia. Over this time, Australian Latter-day Saints have had the choice to follow the biblical practice of donating to pay for church operations and making voluntary charitable donations to health care for those in need. LDS Charities Australia is funded by these charitable donations and allocates its funds to provide humanitarian aid for the relief of poverty, sickness, suffering, distress, destitution, and helplessness around the world. The number and type of humanitarian projects varies each year. LDS Charities Australia has funded and is committed to fund appropriate humanitarian projects in 2023 and will continue to do so into the future. The operations of LDSCA have not changed, and the work is lifting lives, fortifying families, and caring for communities across the world. Inspired by the teachings and example of Jesus Christ, Australian Latter-day Saints have had the opportunity to continue to make voluntary donations that are used to support this important work. You can read more here and here. What's your reaction here to the church's uh, response to the LDS Charities um, uh, tax debacle? So many reactions. I I would love to get uh, Dan McClellan on this because I I question the the use of uh, Australian Latter-day Saints have had the choice to follow the biblical practice of donating to pay for church operations. I don't remember that in the Bible. And uh, I, I, think, I can't remember if it was one of Dan's podcasts or if it's one of um, Esther Perel, not Esther Perel, um, Eileen Pagel or, or Bart Ehrman, one of them, where they were explaining the whole 10% um, that was given after a war, or they were talking about the donations that were given to the temple. And it's completely not what is being described now. It's like if a family came to the temple, they would bring food to the temple. They would eat the food as a family as part of the ritual 
of donations. So it's just, it's another one of these proof texting where they've taken the idea of donations and been stamped, this is in the Bible, but show me where it's in the Bible. But I mean, that's just part of it. The other part of it is um, that it provides humanitarian aid for the relief of poverty, sickness, and suffering. Show us. Show us where those funds are. It's so easy just to make these comments. And then I like the way they just kind of say, it's going to keep going on. It's going to continue doing all the great things we've done. It doesn't, there's no uh, proof or any kind of validation of the claims that they make. So I, it's going to be very interesting to see how this proceeds. Yeah, the Sydney Morning Herald, in their reporting from last week, said that LDS Charities Australia was spending 0.3% of LDS Charities uh, Australia on humanitarian outlook. So that's an right. extremely, extremely small percentage of it. And this, this, um, this, this particular statement, it doesn't deal with the controversy whatsoever of the church flouting the Australian tax code for almost a decade. It doesn't address anything whatsoever. It's not meaningful. All it says is the church has always helped those in need and will continue to do so. Well, I, 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 we can all acknowledge that the church does a lot of good in the world, and we're going to cover that later in this broadcast. Right. That's, the, right. that's not... That's not necessarily the issue. The issue is, were you following the law? If you weren't, why weren't you? That's what people want to know. And this statement falls far short of addressing anything of substance. Exactly. And unfortunately, it's the kind of statement that pacifies people that have a faith that the church can do no wrong, that the church will always be honest uh, in their dealings because that's what they profess. And so if there's no questioning, then they go, oh, I, I read that. They said everything's fine. So it's fine. Especially yeah. people in my generation. I think the, the boomer generation has a tendency to be more accepting um, because we come from a time before social media, before the Internet, where what we were fed was very select and everyone just accepted it. There was no way to prove that it wasn't true. So it's, uh, it's almost a generational thing where this faith and obedience comes from. But this is scary. Uh, just inspired by the teachings and example of Jesus Christ. I don't remember Jesus Christ setting a shell company up. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's comments and phrases like that that make you just kind of shake your head and go, you got to stop this. It can be backed up. But I don't know. We'll see. It's like another one of those statements that says that we consider the matter to be closed. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. been doing really good things and we're going to continue doing good things. So the end. Right. I mean, I don't I, I, I we know that the church has done a lot of great things in the world. We'll cover that in this podcast. And we've, we've covered that in the past. That's that's not the issue. The issue is where are you following the law? If you weren't, why not? Who, was this something that, you know, somebody on Reddit was, uh, I was communicating with them and they said, well, I think the church just got some bad advice from the local Australian, from the local Australian branch. That's always the way it is. And I was just like, okay, well, this, this statement would have been the perfect time to address that and say, okay, we got bad tax advice from the Australian, our, our local affiliates or whoever we're using in Australia. But I don't think that's the case because I think most of the church's tax, um, shall we say, its strategy is run from headquarters not from Australia. So right. this, uh, this, this, this statement is laughably short. It doesn't at all address the controversy. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just disappointed by it. Any last thoughts? You know, and I feel as though the, 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 that's always the consistent um, um, explanation is that these poor older gentlemen were just deceived that they didn't get the information, that the lawyers didn't divulge everything they should have. And these poor old guys, it was like somebody called them from a scam internet company and said you should set up 13 shell companies and they didn't know any better they're not grandpa this is not grandpa sitting in his 
apartment getting scammed by people that are selling him products that don't exist or they, but they always try and these are well-educated men that have degrees in law and business and medical. They're not stupid and they're not being, they're not being, you know, this is not some young punk hacking into the church and fooling these old guys. And that's that we want, we want to have it both sides. We want to say, Follow the prophet. They can't lead us astray. And then they want to go, you know what? They were led astray and they didn't know any better. And they are just doing the best they can. And they, they said that it's taken care of and they don't need to talk about it anymore. So we're not going to talk about it anymore. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing is that other churches in Australia, that they passed a law that changed how ch- churches in Australia were tax exempt. In order to be tax exempt starting in 2012 in Australia, a, a basic church is not tax exempt inherently. You have to prove that you have humanitarian distributions. And what's interesting is other churches didn't try to fo- form shell companies right. and uh, absorb 450, $440 million worth of fake um, fake tax, de- tax deductions in order to do this. It's not like everybody messed up on this boy. We do, how could we have known? It's just like everybody. No, we're, we're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only one. That, I, that I'm aware of that tried to pull these um, very, very questionably, questionable ethics. And this statement, um, you know, the statement doesn't do anything to address anything. We're, we're, you know, it's like Truman. The buck is supposed to stop at the top. Where, where does the buck stop here? Is it at yeah. the presiding bishopric? Is it at the first presidency? I'd yeah. really like to know. Exactly. It's going to be interesting to see because, as you say, it'd be different if it was just like some young, you know, some young bishop set up something and the church didn't know that he was taking in money you know, behind everybody else's back or something like that. These are, this was uh, companies that had to be set up, uh, fake administrations that should have been in Australia that were going back to headquarters. And so there was a lot of effort and time and administrative work put into this. So I, I find it hard to believe that somebody just pulled the wool over some old guy's yeah. eyes. For, for many years. And that's the same thing that we saw with Enzyme Peak. This wasn't a one-time thing where an accountant got something wrong and boy, right. we took care of that guy. This was yeah. year after year of yeah. per- perpetuating this really what has come down to be it, it's an alleged tax fraud that exactly. took place for a decade that really took the Australian taxpayers uh, advantage of the Australian taxpayers. And uh, the church has not taken accountability for it whatsoever. And I find that yeah. uh, to be very disappointing. Now, we've got to move along here. Our next mm-hmm. article here, also speaking of things in the law, this is also a follow up from last week. The uh, LDS Church has filed a lawsuit against Cody's Planning, Zoning, and Adjustment Board. So the church has been trying to push through the Cody, Wyoming Temple for quite some time. There's been a great deal of pushback. I cannot remember another temple with the amount of pushback uh, in this particular community. The the citizens in in Cody, a great deal of them, say, you know, we don't want to have this temple. We don't want it to interrupt the character of our very rustic and somewhat remote, um, our, our remote area and the character of Wyoming is very, um, it, it doesn't, it's not conducive to a giant temple that's over 100 feet tall that's illuminated 24 hours a day. And the church, what have they done? They filed a lawsuit against the Cody, Wyoming uh, Planning and Adjustment Zoning Board. And they say, you know what? We want this temple. And if you don't, we're going to, we're going to start hiring the, they've already hired the lawyers and filed the suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me. And it really plays into the whole idea that it's a lot of the times it's not about the money. It's about power. And I think the church has a really hard time. Obviously, we've just seen the church has a really hard time accepting the idea that, no, you aren't allowed to do that. Or, no, that's illegal because they honestly have this kind of feeling that they're above the law, that when they decide they want to do something, it's directly from God. And therefore, your laws mean nothing to us. 
We are on a higher plane. And so for Cody Wyoming to say, as you said, we have a, we have a look, we have a feel. We don't want that big monstrosity building here. Um, and the church to go, oh, oh, no, you can't tell us. No, we're going to sue you and we're going to force you to have our building put in there is just very laughable almost, the, the, um, the ego that's involved in all of this. You know, this isn't the only lawsuit about temples. Um, you know, in Heber Valley in the Wasatch in Wasatch County in Utah, the church has been trying to push through their temple there as well, and the they want it to be illuminated like a lot of temples. You know, uh, 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 illuminated very brightly. You know, even even at nighttime. And they, uh, the, the, the city council in Heber said, you know, you can have your temple, but you're not going to be able to light it up like you want. You're, it's right. going to need to be turned off, and it's not going to be, I don't know, a million illuminations or whatever it is that, you know. Right. And so what has the church done there? They've also retained legal counsel in Heber. So whenever they get into a situation where the, the community says either, no, we don't want your temple, or B, you're, you can have your temple, but the spire needs to be lower, or, you know, can't light it as well, what is the church's immediate response? It's not to work with them. It's not to try to compromise with them. It's to immediately say, okay, let's sue. Okay, you want to mess with us? Fine. Let's hire the lawyers. We're going to use that $250 billion nest egg, and uh, let's see if we can crush your small city council because we've got a lot more money than you do. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes into, you know, the, where we live in Arizona is also a light-restricted area, and there's an observatory not very far away, and we're out in the country. It's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, and they have light restrictions. Uh, our landscaping all had to be lower lights. We're not allowed to have big lights in our yards or anything like that. That's the law. And there's a reason for that law. It's, they're protecting the environment, and they're, uh, they're protecting the observatory, and there's a lot of reasons for it. So for the church to come in and just say, we don't follow your law, it just goes against the uh, article of faith that says we follow the law of the land. And there's so many of these articles of faith that seem to be being stepped on lately where it's okay for everyone else, but it's not okay for us because we, we live a higher law. I believe it's that mentality.
she has not passed away here at the age of 81. And Sister Holland, of course, is the wife of uh, of the uh, Jeffrey R. Holland, who I believe is fourth. I believe he's fifth in line to the LDS presidency, as I recall, fifth in line. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she battled. Um, she lost her battle with long COVID. Um, it's a very sad situation here. I do find it remarkable in this particular um, in this particular article, Renee. I find it very, very strange here. The title of this particular article, which is on mm-hmm. KUTV News, the title of the article is "Wife of Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland Passes Away at 81." Yeah. Am I just imagining something when I see that that is an odd way to have a headline? That was really sad, and and unfortunately, that wasn't the way it was, you know, highlighted in a lot of the other news organizations. But it did in this KUTV. Uh, they, that is how they identified her was she was the wife of apostle. They didn't even give her name in this title. It was wife of apostle, elder. They gave him the full spectrum: elder Jeffrey R. Right. Holland, and they could not even mention her name wow. in in the beginning, even just her first and last name. Um, and I, that, that was really sad to me. And it really, it kind of, it really clarifies what I talk about on my, she became visible is that, you know, um, and even, even when you read through the article that talked about the, her obituary, it was all about her commitment to faith and her commitment to service and what she sacrificed, how she was a Juilliard trained, uh, pianist and vocalist, but she gave that all up to marry Jeffrey Holland and to put him through school and, um, and then to completely dedicate the rest of her life to serving him and her community. And that was what it was all about. And I have a hard time believing that when Jeffrey Holland passes away, they'll start out by saying, husband of Patricia Holland passes away. And then they'll talk about the fact that he was a father right. and that he was maybe a bishop and how, on how he worked you know, in their community to serve the, the – I don't think so. I think they're going to talk about he was the president of BYU. Uh, he right. got a doctorate degree from here and there. They're going to give his secular accomplishments as well as his religious accomplishments. But for women, uh, especially in the church, especially women in their 80s, that that was the only role they were given was that she was a wife and a mother, and she served her community. That's it. Yeah, her entire identity is wrapped up in her husband. It's You right. know, you run the channel, she became visible – you can't imagine in someone's obituary becoming less visible than their name being erased <laughs> out of the title of your obituary. Exactly. Exactly. That is, that is just absolutely shocking. And don't forget that she was also a general officer of the church. She was in the Young Women's Presidency. I believe she was. Yeah. I, I think she was either. I'm sorry, the first or the second council. I don't no, recall. No, Young General. Yeah, Young Women General Presidency with Arth Cap and counselors Marion G. Turley. Uh, yeah, so she was there in 1984. We had a picture of her in, in general conference. So I just want to bring yeah. up, it's a very sad story. I, I would. There's been a few bad takes in the ex-Mormon community over these type of things, which I find very, um, very detestable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to bring up one more thing and get your thoughts on it. We weren't made aware that she was this close to being dead. This has been apparently a battle that she's been fighting apparently for quite some time. Now, we were made very much aware of Elder Holland that he was having difficult health issues. We were given minute by almost minute by minute updates in general conference. He's out. He's getting dialysis. He's, he's now he's back. He's feeling better. We're given blow by blow with him. But her, we're not given any information. Why is it that whether it comes to general authority wise or even general authorities in general, we're never told right up until like they're admitted to the hospital, they're not doing well, their time is short. All of a sudden, just general authorities or their wives or whoever, they just kind of die. And we're right. never told anything prior to that, that this is a serious situation. Right. Why do you suppose that is? 
That's very interesting, and it, it is a curious phenomenon in the church, for sure. Even talking about Jeffrey Holland and his kidney dialysis. Now, I would love to have someone comment on your on this who is a professional in, in kidney treatment, because I it's my understanding that you don't go in for kidney dialysis uh, like one time. Like, it's like, oh, he just had this little thing. He had a little kidney dialysis, and yeah. then he was just fine. I think his kidneys are shutting down. Like so that three, seems, you go in like three times a week for months or right. even the rest of your life. Right, unless you can get a kidney transplant. Your kidneys are dysfunctioning. So he's pretty ill right now, and they're not acknowledging that. They're making it out like he's getting so much better. He's returned to work a little bit. He's got this little kidney thing that's going on, but it's no big deal. And it it's almost plays into that perfectionism, that continual happiness and continual, and continual perfectionism, where it's something as, as simple as your kidneys have failed. No big deal. No big deal. Or that Sister Holland never really recovered from COVID. That it, when she was in the hospital, it never really, she never really got better. So they're not even talking about how long was she in the hospital? What was her treatment after she went home? Because then they would have to admit that it's been really hard. Uh, people are really sad and um, that they're grieving. Grief is not allowed in the Mormon church. There is no such thing as grief or unhappiness. And that, that plays all the way back into President Nelson's comment a couple of years ago in conference where he told this loving story, which I don't understand why he thought it was so loving, uh, about his daughter-in-law, I think it was his daughter-in-law, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, uh, that was mourning the death of her husband. And she, she had to confess to Wendy because she didn't think she could talk to Grandpa. And, um, and she just said, I'm so sad. I don't know if I can go on. And he, his response was, she's being myopic. She's not even understand. That, that was the emotional level of his kindness, his empathy, his sympathy. And so that kind of goes into this whole, why are you sad? What's the big deal? There's a plan of salvation. You'll see him in the next life. Get over it. Get on. Don't you have a primary lesson to prepare? So, and so for that, I think for the general public and then for the authorities, I think there's this idea that they're constantly receiving revelation, that they're constantly be in touch with the Lord. And so if anybody was to admit that they're not doing well, they're really sick, then obviously they're not functioning as an apostle. I don't know why we can't just let people go. We can't just release Jeffrey Holland. You did a great job. We've loved all your talks over the years. You've touched a lot of people's lives. We now would like to let you grieve and spend time with your family. Why is that so bad that, no, he's going to return to work? He's going to be there on Monday morning. I, I don't understand that. You know, there's, there's a perfectionist kind of mystique that comes with the Quorum of the Fifteen. There, yeah. we, we're not given privy to any of their personal lives. We, they, don't have, they have Instagram accounts, but it's nothing personal. We don't get to see right. inside of themselves. So they're, all come up, they're almost on another plane of existence, right. that they're beyond, they're beyond this world. So, that, of course, they don't get sick. Their families, right. almost, they don't, their families really don't deal with health challenges. All of a sudden, somebody dies, but they were in perfect health before that. They never have cognitive decline. They're never dealing with any of these type of, uh, of challenges that the rest of us face. It's, there's almost right. a perfectionism that's yeah. inculcated into the quorum of the 15. And if they were to acknowledge that Sister Holland is not doing well, she's in her last days, and it, then, then somehow that, that would be cracked. And there's just one other thing before I get your last thoughts on this. If we do acknowledge that Sister Holland say that she has a week left and, and we say, you know what, she's not doing well, she's, uh, our thoughts and our prayers are with her, a lot of Latter-day Saints would be praying for her, would be fasting for her. And in my opinion, we know that those fa the fasting and the prayer would eventually fail, and right. that would crack testimony. So it's like we have to have a perfection of, of, of testimony, of health, of, of mental acuity that just is unrealistic, and um, it's really, I don't know, it's really sad. Any, any last thoughts yeah. on this? It, that Your point exactly, the perfectionism, even to the point where, for example, in general conference, they dim the lights 
so that nobody can see that they've set up a chair for President Nelson to sit at when he's at the podium. Wow. Because heaven forbid that we didn't see him walk from his chair and stand at the podium. Because we might think, you know what, he's 98, almost 99 years old. He might be a little frail. No, we have to keep this persona that the man just got off the ski slopes yesterday. And because, and I think that goes back to maybe their, uh, their false impression of the, the biblical, where you had Moses and other prophets that lived to be, you know, 350 years old or whatever. And so, which is all a fallacy. It's all mythology. And so we're trying to continue that mythology currently. And, and it's not, it's, we can see, we can see that he's standing or sitting on a chair. And you know what? For 98 years old, I think that's okay with everybody. They don't give us the credit for having faith or acknowledging that we understand. We've all gone through this. Give us a little credit for saying, this guy's doing really great. He's pretty dang healthy for 98. But share, like you said, share with us. Share the truth. Again, this is another truth. This is another fallacy that's being kept. No, no, they're fine. They're very strong. Their mental capacity is 100%. I don't know any 98 or 99-year-old. There are a few out there. Um, but even his last talk in conference that everybody's hailing as the best talk he's ever given, I thought it was a little off character for him. And I questioned actually his mental stability with that talk. So I, I think they're giving a disservice by not telling the truth. Another example. Now, our next article here, Renee, this is a very interesting and, and somewhat of a shocking article here that came along from uh, Sam Brunson wrote this in uh, Patriot. He wrote this in By Common Consent, and he does a lot of absolutely fantastic work over there. His blogs are definitely must read, and I really appreciate his takes on here. But he talks about uh, patriotism and uh, the U.S. Constitution and the LDS Church. And this is what, what this is what the controversy is all about here, Renee. It's about a month ago, the Utah area presidency sent a memo to all Utah state presidents, bishops, branch presidents, and in that memo, the area presidency informs them that the Utah legislature has designated September as American Founders Month and encourages each stake to sponsor one patriotic event. But it went further in this as well, Renee, and uh, what happened, uh, you know, patriotism, that's a good thing. Okay, you know, there's no, there's no controversy there. Everybody should be patriotic. But this also went a step further, and that's what got a lot of people scratching their heads. What happened? Well, <laughs> they invited this little guy. David Barton, they invited him to be their keynote speaker, and he has quite a reputation. He's a little controversial, and he is an evangelical author and political activist for Christian nationalist causes. He is the founder of Wall Builders, LLC, a Texas-based organization that promotes pseudo-history about the religious basis of the United States. And he is devoted to advancing the discredited idea that the United States was founded as an explicitly Christian nation and rejecting the notion that the United States Constitution calls for separation of church and state. And that is scary. And I, I, again, I, I don't believe that this area presidency is working in a vacuum, that they don't know who David Barton is, that they don't understand that he's a Christian nationalist, that he thinks that the Constitution was all inspired by Christian men who wanted God to be a part of every school, every government process, and, you know, if any of the historians that have done deep, deep dives and written historical backgrounds on Jefferson and Madison and Monroe and, and Hamilton and all of these men that were there in the room, as Hamilton says, uh, they weren't. That's not what it was about. And um, it's scary. It's scary that the church didn't. Uh, I, I just wonder sometimes, you know, it's kind of like with any kind of marketing. You wonder sometimes, were you not in the room? Did how many people looked at this before it was published? It's kind of scary, really. 
Yeah, and this isn't some uh, elders quorum out in Tooele, Utah, that you know had a, a backwoods uh, newsletter or something. Exactly. This is an area presidency. In fact, the most important area presidency is the Utah area presidency, and we are uh, aligning ourselves now with someone who is involved with pseudo scholarship, spreading outright. This is outright falsehoods, according to uh, Paul Harvey, according to um, a couple of other uh, things that are saying. You know, he's a disgraced and somewhat discredited pseudo um, pseudo historian that has a lot of bizarre conspiracy theories. This is, and, and they're elevating this. There's a pamphlet that he wrote here that's called uh, Why I Love America. And he has anti-Islamic. Um, he is like militant anti-Islamic uh, because he's a fundament, fundamentalist Christian. He's militantly anti-Islamic, which is like borderline hate speech. This is who we are telling our state presidents and our bishops to point our members to be able to learn how to be patriotic. This, this is who we're elevating and putting on a pedestal. Doesn't right. seem like a good idea. Right. And I think it goes back to the whole idea that Christians think that Jesus was Christian. And they always forget that Jesus was Jewish. And he followed all of the Jewish laws and he celebrated the Jewish rituals and holidays up until he died. And so it's, it's ironic that we're now calling for this Christianity to be, you know, it's like, well, then I guess we're, we better start looking into Judaism if we want to follow the religion of Jesus. So it's, it's kind of ironic that these Christian nationalists are, are going up for a religion that has nothing to do with Jesus. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, I think it's kind of scary really where we're going, especially having just returned from a trip to Berlin and watching how uh, fascism and Nazism and, and communism and how all of that took over and the people that went along with it, the people that believed that this was the best way to go. And we stood in the right in front of the library and saw the burning of the books where the burning of the books took place. And then you see burning of books in Florida. And so it's kind of ironic and a little scary, I think, this mentality that's going on. Yeah, I like to call this, I kind of nickname this, I call it niche affiliation syndrome. So the church will take someone who's out there who's a very popular figure like Tucker Carlson or Glenn Beck or David Barton. They will find one area of their particular ideology that aligns with um, church's teachings. In this case, it's being patriotic. And they will say, look, look at this popular figure out there. We want, you know, we're like them. Look, we're, you know, we're mainstream. We're, you know, we're totally normal. And they completely ignore the rest of this person's potentially harmful or racist or um, completely bass backward um, um, ideologies. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just like, why do we need to trot out David Burton? And also, how do we put the genie back in the bottle? We Now, it, it's kind of caused a great deal of controversy. People are like, well, we don't want to affiliate with this guy. This guy's really far out there. So yeah. how do we put the genie back in the bottle? We send a letter out that says now, oh, just kidding. No, sorry, don't don't reference this guy. You can't do that. So literally, you just have to kind of hope that people ignore your advice. This is a really messed up situation. It's really scary. And it, it reminds me, of, do you follow, I don't know if you follow Spencer on, on TikTok. He's an absolute kick. But he made a yeah. comment where he said, you know, I'd rather deal with the old people in the church because they were, they, they were very militant and uh, very comfortable with the idea that the Mormon church is a peculiar people that were different from everybody else. And they were willing to stand that ground where the nuanced Mormons are, are, are just as you said, they're, they're kind of flittering all over it or who they want to be attached to. And I feel, I see what I see right now happening in the church reminds me of the movie um, Mean Girls. It's like the church wants to sit with the cheerleaders and the football players um, but they don't really want to be associated with them, but they kind of want to be accepted by them and sit at the, sit at the table, and they want to go to the parties, and they want to be invited to the parties, <laughs> but they don't want to be held responsible for when the police raid the you know, underage drinking party. They just want to have said, well, we were invited. 
So it's this whole thing where we, we want to be a part of the evangelical movement, but we still want to stand back and say, no, 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 we're unique. We're not right. the same as you, but we want to sit at your table. Renee, I have a feeling you went to a lot more of those mean girl parties than I did. Oh. <laughs> no, I just have... be surprised. You would be surprised. <laughs> no, never uh, even went to prom. I have to tell you that right now. <laughs> that's wow. That is shocking. That is shocking. Um, well, so for our listeners out there, hey, let us know what you think um, about David Barton. Leave us a comment. Leave us a like. Leave us a comment. You know, uh, is David Barton someone that uh, you feel comfortable with, um, you know, bringing to your children? Is the Why I Love America pamphlet, is that a good idea? Or should the church walk this back? If so, how? Leave us a comment. Leave us a like. We'd really appreciate that. Now, this is another quick article here. And uh, I saw this on uh, Reddit here. You know, in the Ukraine, of course, there's a terrible war that's uh, taking place in Ukraine. And it's been going on now for, I want to say, about 16 months here. And uh, Google Earth, which has their own satellites, which, you know, circle the globe every so often, they just updated some of the terrain there in uh, Ukraine. And this is a picture of Mariupol. It's an LDS church there in Mariupol. And it's showing the war-torn um, area. It's showing that the uh, church itself has a couple of holes in the roof. And it looks like it's really been run down and tattered. And, you know, it just reminds me that, you know, while while I'm here and comfortable in the United States, I live on the East Coast, I have a relatively comfortable life, especially when compared to the people who are suffering very tragically in Ukraine. Ukrainian saints, they're having a very difficult time as well as the entire people of Ukraine. And, um, you know, it's just something that we want to keep uh, keep in the back of my mind or maybe in the front of our mind. Right, right. It is it is something that we as in America um, forget. And I do think I would love it if it was there was, you know, when my son um, was in high school, we sent him to a Kiwanis camp. And the, the staff was, um, the camp was staffed by students from Portland State University because it was required that they do so many weeks of community service before they could graduate. It didn't matter what their area of study was, they had to do community service. So they would spend two weeks at this Kiwanis camp dealing with children uh, of, with completely different disabilities. And I was very hesitant to send my son there because he's not, he was nonverbal and um, I just didn't trust that he would be taken care of. But I was finally convinced and it ended up being the best experience of his life. And I think of these football players and these uh, people from speech pathology, all, whatever area of, of education they were dealing with, they came and served at this camp for two weeks and it opened up their eyes to what it was like to uh, be disabled and to work with the disabled. And I wish that that would be the case in every high school, every college, every young adult in America should, should have to go. They don't even have to go outside of, of the United States of America. They, there are other parts of America that they could go and serve in for two weeks and learn just how great a lot of us have it and how really lucky we are to live in this country and that there is a lot of sorrow going out outside of our homes. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're all hoping that the uh, end of this incredible war, this horrible war, takes place as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's sad to me to see the Ukrainian states a lot. You know, they emptied out the mission. There's no more missionaries in Ukraine. The church has made some modest steps forward in helping in Ukraine. They've um, increased some of the donations. They picked up the tabs for some NGOs and done uh, a couple of other things as far as members donating, um, volunteering, helping refugees, giving money, giving some um, food and other things. So the church has done some good there in Ukraine, which is um, really, really nice. But that war is still continuing. And that bombed out chapel, you know, my own chapel is very, very safe here in Washington, D.C. It would be unthinkable for something like that to happen. So my heart really um, reaches out to those uh, saints in Ukraine. And we, uh, I obviously hope that there's an end to this uh, war as soon as possible. Right, exactly. Now, our next article here is, uh, this was a, uh, uh, published here by Devin Pope. He's uh, released a lot of interesting information about Latter-day Saints and um, 
their cell phone data. So he, yeah, it's very interesting. He got he got a hold of 120. I want to say it was 120 million cell phones and their GPS data that went along with that. And he did an analysis based on where it is that those cell phones were on Sunday. He could figure out if you were at church or if you were at home or if you were at the bar or wherever it is. <laughs> because he knows where the chapels are. Yeah, so yeah. it's very interesting. So he t- tweeted this out here. Latter-day Saints are using cell phone data. He said that 1.4 of uh, all Americans are Latter-day Saints who attend a church at least once. So 1.4% of Americans are Latter-day Saints who attend church at least once. And out of seven Latter-day Saints, um, uh, one out of seven Latter-day Saints attends weekly. So that's your percentage there. About 1.32% of uh, United States citizens affiliated as Mormon. Uh, about 1.4% of them attends uh, once per year and less than 1% attend once per month. And again, it's all self-reported data. So if you look at the difference between self-reported data and the cell phone data, it seems like the self-reported from the Pew studies, it seems like Latter-day Saints in general, they over-report their church attendance to the Pew studies. But when you look at their cell phones, it's not quite so rosy of a picture. I just found that to be a very interesting analysis, which I think is the first of its kind. Yeah, and I think it's scary. It's funny because the next thing he should analyze is even if the people are at church, he should analyze the time they're spending on their phones in church <laughs> because that's probably even more telling. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I got to the point where I was even kind of, that's the one thing, good thing about long hair, kind of sneaking an earbud in and, and, and listening to something on my phone rather than paying attention to what was going on. So, I mean, that, that I don't know. I looked at that article. I was more interested in the fact that he could collect that data than I was in the data itself. That was, it's like, um, I have some relatives in my family that I've asked them if they've done like the Ancestry.com or 23andMe, and their response is absolutely not. I don't want people having my genetic information that, you know, Chinese are taking all your data. And I'm like, dude, they got your phone. They're tracking where you're at. If this, if this guy could track everyone's phone, it's like, yeah, you're 23 and me is safe. I don't know. Well, what's interesting, <laughs> you, you mentioned what he what you did while you were at church. And yeah. he also has a different slide, which we don't have time to bring up. But he he did an analysis of when you came to church and when you left. How fast Whoa. do you leave church yeah. once you get there? And yeah. guess what uh, that little analysis said? A lot of people leave after the first block. Sacrament meeting? I could have told them that. No, no study necessary. No, you know, millions of dollar grants given for someone to study. Just stand in front of the church and watch everybody leave after sacrament meeting. That's, yeah. I don't know why they haven't figured it out. I, know, I think some wards do do the uh, Sunday School Relief Society or whatever first, and then they do sacrament last to try to make people hang on. Um, but it, that's not the norm. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Now, our next article here, Renee, this is very interesting. This was from the calledtoshare.com, which is a very popular website out here. And it says, what can make our prophets, our scriptures, and our temples useless? And I thought this is a very interesting article to me because yeah. it, for me, it's kind of like it's asking the wrong question. It's kind of like, what, what, what will make prophets useful? What yeah. will make scriptures useful? What will make temples useful? useful what can we get out of these items not what can make them useless it's kind of like we're looking at things from the wrong paradigm exactly that i found that title very very curious because it does um it does kind of make you wonder where what kind of answers they wanted for that because i can name a lot of things that have already made all of those things useless and as i said we're living in i i relate this to you know when the printing press was invented that's, what, that's where people like Martin Luther were able to get the word out to people that we don't have to listen to these 
elites that are telling us what the scriptures say. I'm going to give you the scriptures and you can look at it yourself. And that's what caused this whole reformation was the printing press. So I look at that as the Internet right now. That is what the Internet is doing. It's sending all this information out to the, the people, not just the elite. It used to be just the elite had the information. Now everyone can get in the Internet and find out prophets, temple usage, scriptures, and they can verify and vet all of that information themselves. So the Internet is making the prophet and the scriptures and the temples useless. So that's a curious title. It, it wouldn't, I don't think it's, I think you're right. I think it was worded wrong, and I don't know if it would drive people to read the article. Yeah, I, that's not the way that I think we should approach things. For, I don't know, let's replace the word prophet here with the word L. Ron Hubbard. What would make L. Ron Hubbard useless? Yeah. I, that's not the way that I approach Yeah. That's, that's not the right approach. What would make Warren Jeffs useless? Actually, what 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 yeah. good does Warren Jeffs offer the world? That's that's how I would approach any of these claims. Is if you have a supernatural claim, if you have something that says that we have special access to the divine, or there's something that's supernatural, it's how do we prove and establish these yeah. supernatural or metaphysical claims? We don't just. It's not like Karen Mule's thing. We don't take supernatural claims at face value and then attempt to disprove them. So exactly. it's, just, it's just a wrong epistemology, in my opinion. Right, right. And it's very scary right now because there is a lot of historical um, brouhaha going on as far as the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. And um, so when they say our scriptures or our temples, you have to get into the doctrine of eternal families and you have to get into the 10% money that you have to pay in order to attend the temple. And, you know, is the eternal family temple rituals necessary? So it's, it's an odd title and it really doesn't answer any questions or even bring up any kind of a conversation. Absolutely not. Now, that's not the only thing that's uh, trending this week in social media as well. And I found this to be very, very remarkable. So the church runs a number of uh, there's a, a number of official Twitter, Facebook, Instagram there. Um, they have a bunch of official handles. And one of their official handles is called The Friend Magazine. And, um, this was uh, published on July 18th at 11 o'clock, 1139 a.m. The Friend Magazine. This used to be called The Children's Friend, but they renamed it to The Friend Magazine uh, a few years ago. And it says, are you a parent or leader looking for ways to help a child who was recently baptized? Try going over this page from this month's Friend Magazine. This is from the July issue of 2023, and it says, again, this is aimed at children, of course, as you know, Renee, there's four things that you can do as a member of the church, and uh, what, what are those four things, and what's the number one thing that you can do if you're a child there, Renee? Yeah, pay tithing. There pay we go. Tithing. Pay, pay to your church officials so you can get your relatives out of purgatory. It goes right back to the old Catholicism teachings of paying for, for your sins. Pay tithing. Tell your little eight-year-old to pay their tithing. That's yeah. I mean, again, this is aimed at children. So these are, these are kids right. who don't have jobs, don't have much resources. So if pay your tithing is number one, invite others to learn about Jesus, be a be a good example, and help others and um, help others feel welcome. And I just wonder if I only had four things to tell my child or to tell my primary. I, I worked in the primary for many years. One of my favorite callings is working in the primary. I was a primary pianist. For a number of years, I really uh, treasure memories. So I really love playing in the in the uh, really you know the piano that's in the back here. It's fake, but I do play the piano. And just if I had four things only to tell a child who had just gotten baptized, the number one thing is to pay tithing. And again, remember the church. We're going to get into this. The church is worth so much money. The couple of pennies that this child is going to give that is really yeah. the number one thing. That's surprising. Yeah, and it, I was just trying to see if I could find it. I wish I would have saved it. There was a TikTok where uh, an atheist uh, father, he has his children recite what, what their moral code is for the family. And as an atheist, he's, you know, his children 
they have this member, this code memorized, and it's all about being kind to one another, uh, looking for opportunities to serve in the community or at your school, standing up or helping somebody if you see somebody being bullied. Um, these are the things that this atheist is teaching his children, and yet the number one thing that the Mormon church is teaching their children is pay money to the church. That's the number one thing versus helping your friend if he's being bullied, you know, serving someone that needs help. Walk. How about we go back to the Boy Scouts? Let's help an old lady cross the street. But the number one thing was give us your money. That's scary. It reminds me, I always have kind of a uh, joke poll of the week, Renee, and um, <laughs> don't take this too seriously, but if I was to give four things, uh, if I was to give a child the number one thing after being baptized, let's see, what can newly baptized eight-year-olds do for the Lord's Church? Let's see, uh, pay more tithing. If you're paying enough tithing, there's always more. Remember this famous quote here by uh, Elder Corden that says, if you have to choose between paying tithing or buying food for the children, you should pay tithing. So yeah, this uh, lines up very, this has, lines up very well with uh, church teachings. Or how about this? Pay fast offering. Maybe that should be number two. You know, get as much money as we possibly can from these kids. You know, why not? Uh, you know, I'm being very sarcastic. Or how about this? Scrub those chapel toilets on Saturdays. Absolutely. Get them in right. there. Eight years old. Get them scrubbing toilets. Absolutely. Or how about uh, pitch in for these? Uh, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Scripture Central. Yeah. Put on that uh, Moroni day with Elder Razvan. Pitch in for those $250 a plate dinners with apostles. Every penny counts. So, yeah, it's, they, can, uh, they can contribute to that, too. Or how about this? Donate to BYU, and this is actually off of BYU's page. Hashtag Giving Tuesday. We got to donate to BYU. Even kids can donate, Renee. Isn't Canada donating enough to BYU? You one would imagine a <laughs> billion dollars over the last, yeah. I think, it's twenty years is not enough. It can right. Just right. seems so. That's the pattern. It's never quite enough for some reason. Exactly. Or how about uh, remember to give a tenth of your Cheerios to the bishop? That's for those nursery room kids. That's a great idea, and and little fish, you know. Exactly. Or how about uh, this one? Uh, work an extra midnight shift at the cannery. And this is actually a screenshot from uh, from a stake here in Harris, the Harrisville cannery assignment. They were saying they were having trouble filling the cannery assignments. And this shift is at midnight to 4 a.m. And they said, boy, we're having trouble filling this shift. Hey, they midnight. can fill that with kids. That would be great. Exactly. That's how this I mean, they have a hard time getting your kids to go to sleep. Just send them to the cannery. That'll work. Exactly. Well. Or, hey, you know, maybe you should get those kids to donate to Proposition 8. It's never too, uh, it's never too late, you know? Yeah, because the church doesn't get politically involved. No. Never, never. Yeah. Or update those wills to get uh, leave all of your estate or farms or work or whatever it is that you have to LDS philanthropies. It's never too early to get those wills updated. Gosh, teach them how to be little little philanthropists. Exactly. Yeah. Or, um, you know, maybe they should just buy some more books, at De uh, buy more coloring books at Deseret Books. Or, or, or little, little CTR rings and all of the other stuff that they sell there. Yeah, why yeah. stop? That's the that's the joke here. Why stop at tithing? Why not have them? Yeah. You know, buy one for on your board? neighbor. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this are um, you know, Renee, we release all of our episodes live on Sunday night at 9:30 p.m. Eastern Standard okay. Time on YouTube. If you're in the live chat, you can vote for what you think should be the kids' number one priority. If it, is it tithing? Is it something else? Maybe I missed it altogether. Let us know. Put it in the live chat. <laughs> Obviously, this is our sarcastic and joke poll of the week. It's just kind of odd to have a kid, you know, number one pay tithing. Is that really that you should be your number one priority in life? It seems like a stretch. Right. And Renee, that does take us to our final news article of the week here. And this is a release from the Salt Lake Tribune. And it is the LDS church here is on its way to becoming a trillion dollar faith. That's just incredible. 
The Widow's Might Report has offered detailed analysis on the faith's holdings as well as um, its public stock filings, its investment firm. And uh, what, how, how, how soon is the church going to be worth a trillion dollars, Renee? I think they were looking at 2044, if I remember correct, something like that. Yeah. So, and that seems like a long time, but I'm telling you, for all you children out there that are listening, the older you get, the faster time passes. So the fact that it's going to be 2024 in a few months, believe me, those 20 years are going to go by like nothing. And that's a scary a scary thing since they don't know how to handle the money now as far as serving the, the poor and the needy. I can't imagine what they would do with a trillion dollars. Yeah, that's the most amazing thing about this is it depends on how well Ensign Peak does in the stock market. So right. if you assume a 6% rate of return, it won't become a trillion dollar church until 2050. But if you assume that Ensign Peak brings about 8% per year, it could be as soon as 2042. So a 2044, 2045, it's going to be a trillion dollar faith. And that's just absolutely incredible, the amount of money that the church is going to be able to have. It's just like we watched in the 60 Minutes. It's Bishop Waddell says that the church has significant resources, yeah. and they're not kidding. A trillion dollars, imagine what could be done. Right. And the sad thing now is ever since whistleblowers are now bringing things out into the open, the church is miraculously overnight supposedly giving more. But a lot of the times if you do the statistics, they're finding out that they're not actually giving any more than they were before. They're just now including fast offerings and service volunteer time. And so the numbers and the statistics that they're giving, it really hasn't increased. And the fact that the church would increase to that amount of wealth and yet they're giving really hasn't increased that much. Um, I heard the other day, I thought this was a wonderful you know, statistics and data can be manipulated so well, but they gave the example that if I say to you, I donated um, $10 to the Red Cross, and my $10 fed one person for three days, that would be a pretty true statement of what your $10 did. But if you then turn that information around and said, um, my donation of $10 helped feed 19,700 people, that makes it out like you're don't or don't even say I gave 10, just say my, I donated to Red Cross and my donation helped over 19,700 people. That makes it sound even more miraculous. And then if you say I participated in assisting 4,300 refugees, that gives you no data whatsoever. But that's how the church is reporting what they're doing with this wealth is they're giving these weird things like we participated or we, we uh, you know, uh, joined with other organizations to do this and kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about the vaccine when they talk about giving three million dollars and they uh, you know they they coordinated with some other things well what does that actually mean and where did that actually go when you say you gave it to the World Health Organization where did that money actually go and yeah, did you actually the the church says that they assisted in the giving of vaccines. Exactly. It didn't say that they gave a vaccine. In the humanitarian report, the church reports what they did with all of their wealth. So when you assist in the giving of a vaccine, I don't know really what that means. And there's a lot of equivocal language in the humanitarian reports regarding what the church is doing with their humanitarian outlook. Yeah, it goes back to me saying I assisted in feeding 9,700 people by giving $10 to the Red Cross. So, you know, I think it's very frightening to think that we would be you know, that wealthy of an organization, and yet we really aren't serving the needy. And I thought it was also interesting that the Lutheran Services is the largest uh, charitable service, and I thought the Lutherans are giving more money than the Mormons are giving. And even if we took the money that is being invested in Ensign Peak, and we took that, that say, $9 million and donated that, that would only make us the second charitable organization. Uh, and so I think that's pretty amazing as the only true church with the only priesthood power on the earth that we would be second if we stopped giving the money to Ensign Peak behind the Lutherans. Right. So the Lutheran uh, Services of America gives away $17 billion a year. They're number one. 
And yeah. even if you include the church's fast offerings, they're sitting at $1 billion. They're not even in the same league. Right. And they could be overnight right. dwarf um, uh, Lutheran services in America as far as humanitarian outlook is concerned. And as we saw from that last slide, Enzyme Peak is probably having a rate of return somewhere between 6 and 8%. And Enzyme Peak is currently valued at approximately 185, uh, 165 to $185 billion. Well, 6 to 8% of that is like $10 billion, you right. know. Um, and so just right away, even, that's just on Enzyme Peak. That's not with donations. That's not with the church's commercial ventures because the church brings in billions of dollars, presumably, with its commercial ventures. The church overnight, without dipping, without um, dipping into its nest egg whatsoever, into the endowment of Enzyme Peak, could become the number one, um, number one humanitarian uh, organization in the United States. Yeah. And, yet, and yet they're not. And that would be, if you want to go back to how we started this conversation an hour ago, going back to the teachings of Jesus, I think we should be number one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you go back and Jesus was only asked uh, in the New Testament one time uh, directly, what should a man do to inherit eternal life? And you remember, he was asked that by the rich, the, the rich man asked him that. And what he said is, uh, don't covet the neighbor's wife. Don't do this. Don't do this. And he said, all these have I done for my youth. And he said, well, one thing thou lackest that sell all that you have, give to the poor and follow me, and then you will have eternal life. And he said, and they remember, he went away sorrowing because he had much possessions. Right. Jesus, when he was asked about it, he didn't say that you needed signs and tokens. He didn't say that you needed to pay tithing. He didn't say that you needed to avoid coffee. What Jesus said to enter eternal life is a drastic difference than how the church currently practices it. And that's the only statement that we have from Jesus about how a person should enter, um, enter right. God's kingdom. And I think the funniest and the most ironic thing about the entire wealth of the church is the fact that it's, it's, it's donated that this money that they have to create this wealth is given to them by the most humble people uh, and some of the wealthiest people, which has helped in their humanitarian efforts of wealthy people giving above and beyond the 10%. And so I said to my husband, you know, if I could just get everyone in our neighborhood to give me 10% of their income, I think I could, I could have made the foundation that we had set up for helping people with disabled children. We ran a nonprofit for five years and we could not get donations to come in. And none, none of our money was ever used for administrative costs or anything like that. 100% was given to other families that had children with disabilities. And um, so if I could have gotten everybody in our neighborhood to give me 10% of their income, that nonprofit could have done amazing things for people. But I couldn't. I, it was just amazing what you need to do for, not, for uh, donations. So I just think it's ironic that they're, they're talking about this money as if they were digging well somewhere and earned it by their 8, 9 to 5 job. But... Yeah, um, we talked about this in our coordination call. Um, as far as the church using its resources, one of the challenges of the church using its resources is that the church does not have the infrastructure that is necessary to be able to burn through the billions of dollars. What you see from a lot of these large foundations is when you give away a billion dollars, it takes about $200 million of infrastructure, of staff costs and other things and accounting and tax uh, tax advice and all those things to give that away. The church does not have those type, that type of infrastructure. The church has very limited infrastructure in Africa, for instance. So if they really wanted to get rid or really spend this money in any meaningful way, they would need to hire massively the people to help them do it because it's, you can't just write checks and then just give it away. There'll be a lot of fraud. We've seen that with the, you know, when, when we had the pandemic and the U.S. government gave out the billions of dollars, guess what happened? They didn't have the proper oversight and there was a lot of fraud involved. You have to have a lot of follow-up and oversight. The church is not prepared 
to be able to give away these resources because the church has refused to invest in the personal infrastructure necessary to do so. And it would take exactly. a long time for the church to ramp up to the level of getting to Lutheran services to America. Right. That can't be done overnight. No, but um, you know, the sad thing is that they started it now and they started the infrastructure and set up this, this administration that would need to be set up in 20 years when they reach a trillion dollars then they might have the, you know, everything set in place, but they're not making any effort to do that. They're making more effort in trying to hide it and figure out how they can just keep it all to themselves. <laughs> I, I kind of think of it this way. I, I, you know, people wonder how we're getting to a trillion dollar church. When Enzyme Peak, well, they wanted to keep Enzyme Peak a secret in order that people would continue to pay tithing to the church. We know that from Roger Clark. So they couldn't have the levels of giving that would alert people to the wealth that the church had because it would tip people off. Okay, so it was all uh, it was all secret. But right. once it got once the cat got out of the bag, they can't ramp up to the level to get to where they need to because it requires personnel, expertise, infrastructure. Exactly. And so it's kind of like the church is in a catch twenty two, and it's going to take a long time, even with a change in philosophy, because there's no appetite for the senior leaders of the church. I don't think to uh, ramp up the humanitarian giving no. at all. I don't think no. it's just going to take years to get to where we, it is that we need to be. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. That's sad. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, Renee, have we covered everything that needs to be covered for this week in the news? I think we did. I think we did it all. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. The She Became Visible channel is a fantastic channel. Really appreciate having had the opportunity to work with you on that. And I definitely wish you the very best in uh, Go Great Dane, the Mormon discussions, and your entire uh, philosophy. Well, and you as well. Your show is a hoot. I told you the other day, I was listening to one of your podcasts. I'm going through the grocery store. I had my earbuds in, so no, I, I must have looked like some, some of the people that you see on the street, maybe just suffering a little schizophrenia. I was laughing so hard with just the way you throw things out. And it's just such a fun, fun podcast. I love your Mormon News Roundup. Well, I, I, that, that means a great deal to me. And I want to give a shout out to Weird Alma for this episode's music. Thanks so much, Renee, for ruminating with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive. And remember, remember, no one hallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. Bye-bye. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for, for supporting us on Patreon.com.